dangerous assignment. Diane Dunleavy as Steve Mitchell. Commissioner. You know, this better be important. There's a certain redhead who was just dying to go for a long ride in the country today. Now I can't even give her a chance to walk back. This is important, Steve. Ever hear of the Triangle Airlines? No. It's an American charter outfit owned by a man named Kovac. They fly cargo across the northern part of South America, from Ecuador to Brazil. The last ten days, three of their planes have disappeared over the jungles, vanished without a trace. Pilots haven't been heard from since. So a private airline's in trouble. Since when have we been pulling chestnuts out of the fire for outfits like that? Ordinarily, we wouldn't be interested. But the circumstances accompanying the disappearance of these cargo planes make it our concern. What circumstances? Well, um, I don't quite know how to tell you, Steve. Oh, now, let's not be bashful, Commissioner. What do you mean? Flying saucers. What did you say? You heard me, flying saucers. Commissioner, I'm a pretty patient guy. But if you think I'm going down to South America and start looking for flying saucers... That's just what you are going to do, Steve, and your plane leaves in an hour. Now, look, don't tell me you're going to give me a Buck Rogers ray gun to shoot them down with. This is no joke, Steve. Look, I don't care whether it's flying saucers or flying dishpans. That area's too close to the Panama Canal for comfort. You'll be met in Ecuador by a man named Drake, the chief pilot of the airlines. He'll fill you in on the background. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is proud to present Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Well, this assignment really takes the cake. I've had my share of screw-loose jobs, but flying saucers yet. It's Wednesday night when I get to Ecuador. Drake, the chief pilot of Triangle Airlines, is waiting for me at the airport. He bustles me into the co-pilot seat of one of their cargo ships and we take off and head east. It's about a two-hour hop to Santa Rosa, Mitchell. You should be there about midnight. What's at Santa Rosa? One of our fields. Kovac, the owner, is waiting there for you. You uh, do most of your flying at night around here, Drake, huh? Mm, all of it. Less turbulence over these mountains. You a flyer, too? Oh, now and then. Too bad you're not looking for a job. This monkey business keeps up. I'm going to be fresh out of pilots. Just what has been going on? You tell me. It's happened three times now. Radio flash from the pilot about seeing flying saucers. Then the radio goes dead and the plane's never heard of again. You searched the jungle near the route for the planes. From the air. The country's too rugged for a ground search. Hey, what was that? Mitchell, look outside. All those lights. Yeah. Hey, they look like rings or discs swirling around. They're right alongside of us. I'm going to go back aft in the plane. Maybe I can get a better look at them. Uh, Mitchell! Drake, what is it? What's the matter? Drake! The Drake just grabs at his chest and slumps over. The plane starts into a dive. I jump back into my seat and... Right up, level it out. I remember... Noticing Drake had been flying a heading of 95 degrees, so I hold it there. By the time I can look outside again, the whirling things are gone. I reach for the radio. T3 calling Santa Rosa Tower. 
T3 calling Santa Rosa Tower. Over. Santa Rosa Tower to T3. Go ahead. T3 to Santa Rosa. This is Steve Mitchell. Keep in touch with me. I've got to bring this bucket of bolts in, and I don't know anything about the route or the field. Over. Santa Rosa to T3. What happened to Drake Mitchell? Over. I'll tell you about it when I get there. Right now, that's what concerns me. Over. Stay on 95 degrees. If you're on schedule, you'll be over the field in an hour. Your course follows a valley. You'll know it if you get off it all right. There's a high mountain range on each side. Over. Thanks a lot for the pleasant thought. I'll see you in about an hour. I hope. Over and out. So, for the next hour... I nurse a strange plane between two mountain ranges I can't see on a night black enough to play post office. All the while, I'm trying to convince myself I didn't see what I know I did. Drake is still unconscious, but he stirs a little now and then. Finally, I pick out the lights of Santa Rosa Airfield and manage to bring the ship in okay. Mitchell? Yeah? I'm George, Kovac's nephew. Yeah? I was talking to you on the radio. Sure glad you made it okay. You are glad. Come on, give me a hand with Drake here. Okay. Hey, he's coming out of it. Yeah. Drake. Drake. Uh, what? Oh, my chest. What happened to you, Drake? I don't know. Right after we saw those things, I suddenly felt like I'd been kicked in the chest by a mule. That's all I can remember. But there's not a mark on you. Yeah, great. Flying saucers aren't enough. Now we've got invisible rays. Well, why didn't it hit you too, Mitchell? I don't know. Wait. I just started aft when it happened. Guess it's a good thing for you. You did. Yeah. Come on, Joyce. We'll get Drake taken care of, and then we'll talk to your uncle. Mr. Mitchell, your description of what you saw during your flight tallies with those the missing pilots radioed in. I tell you frankly, I'm on the ragged edge with this airline. I've lost three planes. One more and I'm ruined. Isn't your line insured, Mr. Kovac? Why, yes, but this is more than money. It's a matter of prestige. Look, Uncle Emil, if you'd taken my advice a month ago when the Van Horn Exporting Company wanted to buy you out... George, for the last time, I'll not tolerate any advice from you as to how to run my affairs. Sure, you stick your nose in all my affairs, but I'm not supposed to open my mouth where yours are concerned. If you don't keep a civil tongue in your head... (laughs) Look, uh, gentlemen, I don't want to stir up a hornet's nest between you, but... What is this Van Horn Exporting Company? They ship crates of carved wooden statues regularly on our planes. Our largest customer, as a matter of fact. About two months ago, they approached me with a substantial offer to buy the line. But just before the trouble started, they notified me that they were withdrawing their offer. Bad business conditions, they said. Any particular reason why business should be bad? Oh, there have been rumors about some mysterious revolutionary party organizing lately. That sort of thing always has a bad effect on business in these countries. I see. Uh, Mitchell, uh, what'll be your first step? Well, I think I'll pay a visit to the Van Horn Exporting Company in the morning. Why? You certainly don't think they're involved in this flying saucer deal, do you? Look, when you don't know where to start, one place is as good as another. Besides, I'm sure the Van Horn Company is a lot closer than Mars. Is this the office of the Van Horn Exporting Company? Yes, it is. Well, I'd like to talk to the boss. Is he around? Yes, I'm the boss, as you call it. Huh? You? I'm Herta Van Horn. Well, (laughs) looks like the company is in good hands. Thank you. What can I do for you, Mr... Mitchell. Steve Mitchell. 
Uh, your company ships cargo pretty regularly with the Triangle Airlines. I have been, but if their present trouble continues, I think I will have to make other arrangements. Uh, you're down here to investigate that trouble, aren't you? I don't remember telling you that. One picks up things here and there. Yeah, I guess one does. A couple of months ago, you offered to buy the airline, didn't you? Yes, I did. But that was before the trouble started. Naturally, I'm not interested now. Well, according to my information, you withdrew your offer just before the trouble started. <laughs> I see that you too pick up things here and there. Yes, I began to hear rumors about the formation of a revolutionary party. I decided it would be unwise to make a large investment under those conditions. I see. You know, that's the second time I've heard this rumor about a revolutionary party. Oh? What about it? Oh, nothing. Except it seems like a pretty convenient time to start that rumor circulating. I don't know what you're trying to prove, Steve, but I wish you luck. Thanks, Herta. Maybe meeting you has been luck. One never knows. I expect I will see you again. You expect right, Herta. And soon. George told me I'd find you here in the office. Yeah. Come on in, Drake. How are you feeling today? Yeah, a lot better, thanks. My chest still hurts a little. Mm. I'd sure give a lot to know what hit me last night. So would I. Doing some paperwork this morning? Yeah. I've been checking cargo invoices and radio logs. I've discovered a couple of pretty interesting things. Huh? What? Look, each time a plane has disappeared, it's been carrying a shipment from the Van Horn Company. Hmm? Well, what does that prove? I don't know yet. Take a look at this copy of the invoice. Mm -hmm. well, what about it? How many Van Horn crates are listed there? Uh, let's see. Uh, six. Yeah, but isn't that number a little smudged on this copy? Yeah, it looks like it. Who handles these invoices on this end? Well, sometimes Kovac and sometimes George. Hmm. How big are those uh, Van Horn crates? Mm, five, six feet long. Now, what are you getting at, Mitchell? I'm not sure yet, but here's something else. According to the radio logs, in each case, the pilot reported sighting the flying saucers about 20 minutes after takeoff. So? Now, take a look at this map. 20 minutes out at the course and speed your planes fly should put them right near this mountain. Yeah, Mount San Anselmo. Look, what are you getting at? Well, look, suppose don't... those flying saucers came from the ground, Drake. You know... Don't tell me you're going into those jungles. Sure. You know anyone who could guide me? Seems to me one of those mechanics has a brother named Pavlo, some sort of a guide, I think. Mm-hmm. Mitchell, you ought to think this over before you go in. I have thought it over. Now, see if you can round up that guide, will you? I'd like to get started as soon as possible. How far you figure we've come since we left the jeep, Pablo? Well, at least ten miles, senor. Well, we ought to be getting close to the spot, then. Brother, this jungle is thick. This is the only trail through it, huh? See, si. I can believe it. Senor, watch out! Huh? Why the fly and tackle? Look, senor. Huh? Look there in the trail in front of you. I don't see anything. Quiet. Look more closely. Hidden by the underbrush on the ground. Yeah, I see it now. A rope noose. Spread over the trail. See, and over there, senor. See the tree which is bent almost double? Mm-hmm. Another step and we'd have been dangling from that tree like two apples. 
Come on, let's bring that trap. Quick. Look, someone's obviously hiding around here, waiting to catch us dangling from that rope. Let's make him think he succeeded. Here's a dead branch beside the trail. Give me a hand with it. Got it? Okay. Stop here. The trigger is probably under that little pile of leaves. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Okay, we'll toss this branch on top of it and see what happens. You ready? Let her go. Look at that. The rope jerked that branch right up in the air. Now get down here beside the trail. Senor, I hear something. Yeah, so do I. Somebody coming through the underbrush. Okay, let him get right on top of us, then we'll jump him. Now. Ah, what's the Pablo? He's got a gun. But I have him a chance. No, 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 hold it. Ah. Oh, great. Did I did something wrong, senor? No. He'd have done the same to us if we'd given him a chance. But I wanted to get some information from uh, him. I will take a look. Uh, there is nothing in his pocket, senor, except this scrap of paper. Let me see it. See, si, see, si, here you are. La Posada, 8 o'clock. What's La Posada mean? That's the name of a bar in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he had a date. Okay, I'll keep the date for him. Maybe I can find out who's been going all out to kill me. You are listening to Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell. few minutes before eight that night, I'm waiting in the shadows across the street from La Posada Bar. A car pulls up in front. Herta Van Horn is driving. A guy starts to get out, but Herta pulls him back for a minute. There's a long kiss, and he gets out and heads for the bar. Herta pulls away. As he opens the door, the light silhouettes him. It's Kovac's nephew, George. I wait for a few minutes, and then I saunter in after him. George. Oh, hi, Mitchell. Are uh, you surprised to see me? Should I be? I don't know. You waiting for somebody, George? Waiting for a drink right now. Is this a favorite hangout of yours? It's the only decent bar in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. Look, uh, what's with the third degree, Mitchell? Oh, nothing in particular. Just curious. Everybody stay right where you are and keep your hands in sight. Hey, look at all the soldiers. What's the deal? Such me. You're under arrest, all of you. Everyone in this bar is under arrest. Arrest? Hey, look, who are you? Lieutenant Gonzalez of the military. Arrest for what? Look, Lieutenant. It will can... do you no good to argue. You will come quietly or be shot. Hey, what's going on around this joint? Oh, Drake. <laughs> yeah, looks like I'm about to get pinched. What's a beef? You know this man, Senor Drake? Well, I certainly do, Lieutenant. Steve Mitchell. He's down here investigating the trouble we've been having on the airline. You better take a look at my credentials, Lieutenant. Here. I see. I'm sorry to have disturbed you, Senor Mitchell, but with the situation what it is, we cannot take chances. What situation? We have information that this bar is the headquarters for a revolutionary party. That is why we raided the place. You sure there's more to this revolutionary party than a rumor? Do you think that the military would act on a mere rumor? Maybe, if the rumor was convincing enough. Well, I'll see you around, Lieutenant. And, Drake, thanks for the assist. (laughs) 
morning, Hertha. Good morning, Steve. What can I do for you? I'd uh, like to take a look at your shipping invoice the last couple of weeks, okay? I guess, of course. Here you are. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, here's the one I want. Now, this shipment was on the last plane that disappeared. What about it? This invoice shows five crates shipped, but the copy they have at the airfield shows six. Well, there must have been a mistake, then. Yeah. Right now, I'm wondering who made it. Steve, I don't know what you're trying to prove, but I'm beginning to resent your inferences. Sorry, I didn't know they were showing, Herta. I guess George was right when he said your company couldn't possibly have anything to do with the trouble the lion is having. George? Yeah, Kovac's nephew. Oh, well, it was very nice of the men to come to my rescue when I hardly know him. You hardly know George, huh? Oh, just to speak to on the street. I see. Well, I better be getting back to the field. I'm sorry I cannot help you, Steve. Thanks, Herta. Maybe you have. Oh, Mitchell. Why, hello, Mr. Kovac. Uh, on your way to see Hertha? Oh, looking for you. Have you found out anything uh, at all about these flying saucers and what's behind this thing? Mr. Kovac, so far I've been just grabbing at handfuls of smoke here and there. But there's enough smoke to mean fire somewhere. Uh, you've got a plane going tonight, haven't you? Yes. Is there a Van Horn shipment aboard? That's right. How many crates? Why, uh, five, I believe. Okay. Just one thing more. Do you have a small plane I could use? Well, there's a four-place cabin job at the field. That's perfect. Mitchell, what are you going to do? I'd like you and George to be at the control tower when your cargo plane takes off tonight, Mr. Kovac. I'll tell you what I'm going to do then. That night, I wait in the shadows near the airfield. I spot the plane T-5 loaded and ready. The pilot is in the shack getting his weather report. I slip quietly aboard. The invoice had said five Van Horn crates, but I can count six of them, all about six feet long. I put my ear to the top crate, and I hear what I expect to hear. Then I freeze. Footsteps outside. There's a faint scrape of metal under the belly of the plane. The steps fade away. I get out, crawl under. I take a long look, and a lot of things suddenly fall into place. I head for the control tower. George, Kovac, and Drake are there. T-5 to Santa Rosa Tower, ready to go. Santa Rosa Tower to T-5, go ahead. Wind 15 at 30 degrees. Well, Mitchell, now perhaps you'll tell me why you wanted George and myself to be here tonight. Sure. I want to take you for a ride in your plane. A ride? Where? We're going to follow the plane that's just taking off. What? Now, Mitchell... What's the matter, Kovac? Doesn't the idea appeal to you? Well, I... I'd rather not go, Mitchell. I, I don't like this idea. Afraid of what you might see, huh, Kovac? Of course not. How about you, George? Why, uh... I don't know what you're getting at, Mitchell, but it sounds like a lot of nonsense to me. Drake, you want to go along just for the ride? Sure. Except I'm not anxious to get hit again by one of those things that hit me the other night. <laughs> I think we'll be safe enough. Uh, get the plane warmed up for me, will you? I'll be with you as soon as I make a telephone call. Aren't you going to ready the pilot that we're following him, Mitchell? No. You and George just sit back there and keep your eyes on that plane. I don't see what you're trying to prove, Mitchell. I think you will in a minute, George. How long since takeoff, Drake? Oh, about 19, 20 minutes. Want me to take over the controls? No, thanks. Mitchell, look at that plane below, all yeah. around it. Circles of whirling light. Mitchell, the flying saucers. Relax. T-5 to Santa Rosa. T-5 to Santa Rosa. It's all around me. Flashing lights and whirling things. Must be the flying saucers. 
That was the pilot reporting back. Flying saucers. Wait a minute. They seem to be coming from the plane itself. They are. From underneath the plane. What? Yeah, from a bracket attached to the belly. They're not flying saucers. They're just a glorified collection of fireworks. Fireworks? Hey, wait. That plane's turning left. But how can it fly at all? Something's happened to the pilot. He's the only one aboard. No, there's another guy aboard. He's probably doing the flying now. But where'd he come from? He climbed out of a crate. Hey, the plane is heading right for that mountain that's climbing. We'll climb with it. Mitchell, what's behind all this? I don't know. Right now, I'm more interested in who's behind it. Kovac, you said you were pretty heavily insured, didn't you? Why, yes. What's that got to do with it? Did you inspect the cargo plane before it took off? I always do. You could have attached the fireworks to that bracket under the belly when you made your inspection, couldn't you? Are you insane? Why would I do a thing like that? Why, George here looked over the plane after I did. That's interesting. And George usually handles the invoices. He could have altered the number of crates on them. Look, Mitchell. Hey, we're right over the mountain now. And that plane is starting to lose altitude. Tell me, George, why did Herta Van Horn lie about the two of you? She barely knew you, but when I saw the two of you in our car outside La Posada Bar, your acquaintance seemed to be more than a nodding one. George, have you been seeing that woman again? I distinctly told you I would not okay, tolerate... Okay, so it's out in the open now. Sure, I've been seeing her, and I intend to keep it up. I can't help it if you don't like her, I do. We'll discuss this later, George. Hey, hey, look down there. Some faint lights. What? There's nothing but jungle there. Look again, that's a camouflage landing strip, and the cargo plane is landing. So that's what's been happening to my plane. What mountain is that we just came over? El Diablo. And the landing strip is right behind. Okay, we've seen enough. I'll radio back a report. Hand me and... that microphone, Mitchell. Hmm? Drake! Look out, he's got a gun. I said hand me that microphone. Okay, Drake. You know, I kind of got to figuring it was you. As chief pilot, you were in a good spot to alter the invoices and get your stooges aboard the plane and crates. But why? You on the radio to 4150 kilocycles, Mitchell. Okay. Yeah. You were the only one who knew I was going into the jungle, too, Drake. You arranged a little booby trap for me. You're also a good actor, faking that collapse you pulled on me in the plane. Shut up and keep tuning. Okay. You're on 4150 now. This is Drake. This is Drake. Leave the lights on. We're coming in behind the cargo plane. Stand by to receive some uninvited guests. Okay, Mitchell, go down and land. The first time you try anything smart, you'll get your head blown off. I set the plane down on the strip. The landing lights flick off, and half a dozen rugged-looking gents swarm out to meet us. Drake huddles with them for a few minutes, and then they haul Kovac, George, and me into a log hut hidden under the trees. They toss us in there and bolt the door. But the door has an inside bolt, too. We shoot it in place. We can't get out, but now they can't get in. Mitchell! Open the door, Mitchell! Okay, smart boy. You'll come out running when it gets light. The hours crawl by. We sit and wait and sweat. What what time is it now, Mitchell? Uh, 5 a.m. I I can't stand this waiting. What good did it do us to bolt the door from the inside? We can't stay in here forever. I'm playing for time. I've still got an ace up my sleeve, but we've got to stay alive until dawn to find out if it's any good. Well, don't look now, but I think dawn's here. Huh? There's a crack of light under the door. Mm, brother, if something doesn't happen pretty soon, we're cooked. Hey, maybe we are. Do you smell that? Gasoline. You'll be coming out pretty soon now, boys. Mitchell, fire to the hut. Yeah. 
I guess that's why he was waiting for dawn. He was afraid the fire might be spotted at night. Is this the ace up your sleeve, Mitchell? We can't stay here and roast like rats in a trap. We'll get a bullet in the belly as soon as we open that door. <laughs> Couple of keen choices. <coughs> I'll take my chances with the bullets. Come on, let's get this door on bullets. But they'll kill us. I'll take fresh air with mine. Hey, wait a minute. Listen. A plane. That's the ace up my sleeve I was talking about. Sounds like it's coming down. Who is it? Just before we took off last night, I made a phone call, remember? It was the Lieutenant Gonzalez of the military. Gonzalez? But how did he know what happened to us after we took off? We'll wait out later. Let's get out of here. Hey, Gonzalez boys are taking no chances. They want that landing strip clear when they sit down. Come on, George, let's get this door unbolted. Okay. Okay, come on. Look at them scatter. Hey, Mitchell, there goes Drake, trying for the jungle. I'll get him. Watch out, he's got a gun. I see it. You can't run and shoot at the same time, Drake. Better make up your mind which. Okay, I'll shoot, Mitchell. Too late, Drake. Let go of me. He who hesitates is... Lost, you know. Mitchell, Mitchell, you okay? Yeah. How are Gonzalez and his boys doing? Well, they seem to be mopping up in a hurry. Mitchell, I still don't understand how Gonzalez found out. Well, when I called him last night, I told him our radio frequency, and I asked him to listen in. Then I kept the mic open the entire time. Gonzalez overheard everything that was said in our plane, huh? Yeah, including the location of the landing strip. But I knew he wouldn't try to bring a plane in here before dawn. That's why I was hoping we'd still be alive by then. But why were Drake and his outfit trying to ruin my airline? Look, if you're going to operate a secret landing strip, you don't want a regular airline flying through the area. They figured the flying saucer gag would scare you off. Well, it seems to me this was a pretty big operation for a small revolutionary party in a small country, Mitchell. You know, I've been thinking that too. Could be that's all there is to it. But it's... Not a long hop from here to the Panama Canal. Maybe somebody else had ideas about using this strip eventually. Of course, we'll never know, and anyway, it doesn't matter much now. Yeah. Speaking of things we'll never know, we didn't prove anything one way or the other about flying saucers in this deal. We proved something as far as Drake's concerned, though. What's that? If you monkey around with fireworks long enough, you're sure to get your nose burned. Or busted. just heard another episode in the exciting new adventure series, Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell. Dangerous Assignment is written by Bob Reif, with music by Bruce Ashley, and was directed tonight by Max Hutto. Be with us again next week at this time when Brian Donlevy, starring as Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell.
danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to end up with a guy I'm looking for shoving a gun in my back and me doing my best to help him. Commissioner, Ruth said you had an assignment for me. I do, Steve. Well, where do I go this time? I'm not sure. You're not? <laughs> Let's have that again. You heard me. I'm not sure. Okay, okay. So what do I do when I get there? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. You're not sure where I'm going. You don't know what I'm supposed to do when I get there. Well, okay. If you want to play 20 questions, is it animal, vegetable, or mineral? Mineral. And I'll save you the other 19 questions by telling you it's a buzz bomb. Buzz bomb? Steve, I'm sure you remember how proficient the Nazis were in the last war with buzz bombs. Yeah. As I remember, they sure remodeled the London skyline with them. That's right. Perhaps you also remember that we had strong indications that the Nazis had a complete set of plans for a new buzz bomb. One which apparently is equal or superior to the guided missiles we're working on right now. Those plans disappeared, and we've had no line on them whatsoever up until last night. What happened last night? For some time, one of our agents in Berlin has been on the trail of a man he was convinced was involved. Last night, in an alley, he finally found the man with a knife in his back. Uh So now we don't have any more line on it than before. I wouldn't say that. You see, the dying man lasted long enough to admit that he and a friend of his had stolen the plans around the time of the fall of Berlin. Did he say who his friend was? A man named Frelick, who brought them to this country right afterward. Their scheme was to sell to the highest bidder, but the dying man hadn't heard from Frelick since he came to the States five years ago. Five years ago? Well, why hasn't Frelick tried to peddle the plans before now, then? We don't know. That's what I want you to find out after you find Froelich. And Steve, remember that whoever killed Froelich's partner in Berlin knows as much about it as we do. That means from now on, it's going to be a race. Every minute counts double. Get on it, Steve. Locate Froelich wherever he is. And above all, bring back the data on that buzz bomb. Yeah? That's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, colorful two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you'll find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Sure, I've got my assignment. Just a simple matter of locating a guy named Frelick who came to this country almost five years ago and getting some buzz bomb plans away from him. On the surface, it sounds just dandy, but there are a couple of little things that occur to me real quick. In the first place, Frelick obviously doesn't want to be found. And in the second place, there's already been one murder committed over those plans. That means I've got to try to prevent the second one, namely my own. I head for the immigration office and start checking their files. Five hours later, I find a record of Frelick docking at New York, May 13th, 1946. I head for New York to follow it up. The local office digs out the file for me, and I find that Frelick listed as his next of kin a cousin named Julius Sachs in the Bronx. I copy down the address and go over it. Yeah? Julius Sachs? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what happened to you? Your face looks like you'd tangled with a meat grinder. What a fair set of yours. Who are you? Hey, you better take a look at my credentials. <clears throat> I see. Come in, please. Now then, what can I do for you, Mr. Mitchell? I'd like to talk to your cousin. My cousin? Yeah, Frelick. 
But I'm afraid you're much too late for that. You mean he skipped town? No, I mean Friedrich has been dead for almost five years. What? Yeah. He was killed in a traffic accident the day after his boat docked from Europe. Oh, great. There goes my one lead. Uh-huh. I'll skip it. Look, uh, did Freilich ever mention anything to you about any valuable papers he had? No. You know, it's strange that you two should ask this question. What do you mean, me too? You observe the condition of my face. Well, last night I was almost beaten to death. My Kais for help drove my attacker away and saved my life. Who was he? I do not know. I've never seen him before. A man with bulging eyes. He kept asking me strange questions about Freilich's papers. Questions which I was unable to answer. Brother, they're sure not losing any time. Hey, look, Freilich must have brought some luggage with him. Yeah, a trunk. I kept it in the attic for some time. You still have it? No. Last month I cleaned out the attic. When I came to the trunk, I realized I'd misplaced the key. So I sold the trunk. To whom? A junk dealer. Uh, oh, fine. Great chance I'll have of finding it now. But, hmm. uh... But, uh, what could be so valuable about Furley's trunk? It was empty. And... You sure about that? Of course. Furley unpacked all of his clothes as soon as he arrived. What did you do with his clothes after he was killed? Oh, I gave them away. Uh, well, that settles that. Of course, those papers would be too bulky to hide them in clothing, anyway. What papers are these that everybody is suddenly so interested in? Oh, skip it. Look, Julius, do you remember which junk dealer you sold the trunk to? Oh, yeah. I copy his address down, if you like. I like. Uh, remember what the trunk looked like? Well, let me see. Uh, oh, it had a rounded top, as I remember, and uh, brass bands. Uh, not much to go on, but I'll give it a whirl. Mr. Mitchell, I still do not understand why this trunk is so important to me. Maybe it isn't, Julius, but I won't know until I find it. But this junk dealer, he's undoubtedly sold the trunk by now. And to find one trunk in a city as large as New York... Yeah, well... yeah I know, Julius. If I ever bet with odds that heavy against me at the racetrack, I'd be on relief. I got trunks, he asks. Mister, does a fish have scales? <laughs> Come with me. Huh? Hey, where are we going? To the back room here. You're going to see trunks. There. Oh, no. At least 50 of them. <laughs> 52, friend. Hey, take your pick. Two bucks each. Three bucks with keys. Look, the one I'm interested in you bought about a month ago from a guy named Julius Sachs. You haven't remembered? Uh, mister... In my business, is not the names that count. It's the merchandise. Sack, schmacks. Well, I... this merchandise had a rounded cover and brass bands. Oh, an old baby, huh? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I get a lot like it with it. Hey, wait a minute. You remember it? Yeah, it seems to me I sold a trunk like that about three weeks ago. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember now. I had a couple of keys made for it, and I sold it to a doll down in Greenwich Village. Let's see, uh, 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 yeah, Alice Chambers. I thought uh, you didn't remember names. Hey, Mr. You see her, you'll remember her name, too. You uh, happen to know where she lives in the village? Uh, a Roman house, I think she said. Uh-huh, okay, thanks. Hey, wait, wait a minute. Hey, what's the matter? So you come in here asking about trunks. I give you a good price, two bucks, three mm. bucks with keys. And all you're fishing for is a doll's address. Hey, you know, this sort of thing does not help me further my career. <laughs> okay, career boy. Here's five bucks. Have a couple of trunks on me. Uh, with keys? Yeah. Yeah, here's another buck. With keys. So I head for Greenwich Village. I know what I'm following is strictly a hunch, and I'm just hoping the hunch doesn't turn into a wild goose tish. Steve Mitchell, government agent, shagging around New York after a beat-up, second-hand trunk yet. 
When I get to the village, the usual array of characters are floating around. The gent on the curb carving statues out of soap. The guy with hair down to his shoulder sawing away at a fiddle. The works. I nose around inquiring about Alice Chambers. Finally, I learn that her rooming house is just around the corner. I turn the corner. Then I spot a crowd in front of the doorway with a couple of cops pushing them back. On the edge of the crowd stands a tall, skinny gent wearing a long black beard and a long white toga. Excuse me, I'd like to get by. Ah, my friend, you disappoint me. Huh? As I watched you approach, I thought, here is a man of character. Surely he will not stoop to this. Yet, here you are, yielding to the same morbid curiosity which is the common denominator of the ignoramuses which our crass and materialistic culture spews forth upon our sidewalks in ever-increasing multitudes. Look, save the lecture, Professor. I, ah, I... I do not remember making your acquaintance, yet you seem familiar with the title which my earnest but unfortunately too few students have bestowed upon me. Ah, uh, just psychic, I guess. Hey, uh, what's going on, anyway? Uh, merely another unfortunate instance of man's inhumanity to man. Will you skip the double talk? Hey, does Alice Chambers live in this rooming house? A very profound question, my friend. What's so profound about it? A question which has occupied the minds of philosophers and theologians for centuries. Whither doth the soul take flight when the body... Soul? Body? Hey, wait a minute. What are you talking about? This Alice Chambers... What about her? It would appear that at some time during the course of the night... She was murdered. So all of a sudden, the trail's heating up fast. Now I know my hunch was right, that the trunk is pretty important. That means just one thing. A false bottom and in the secret compartment, the plans for the buzz bomb. I shove past the professor into the rooming house and check with the police. We give Alice Chambers' room a fast frisk, but no trunk. That puts me right back where I started from, which is nowhere. I turn to leave, but out in the hall, I spot the professor, Toga and all, heading for the next room. I catch up with him at the door. Ah, my friend of the morbid curiosity. Yeah, and speaking of same, I noticed you were right there in the crowd taking it all in, professor. I, sir, am a spectator of life. You uh, live here next door to Alice Chambers' room, huh? As you see. It is an humble abode, but it serves me. After all, life is of the mind, not... Yeah, the... yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I'd like a little information. You have indeed come to the right man, my friend. Oh? Yes. To some, it is given to build things. To others, it is given to tear them down. But to me, has been granted the highest function. That of spreading you a little... You couldn't have used a better word, Professor. Sir? I'll skip it. Yes, yes. As I was saying, if I can but momentarily pierce the black cloud of ignorance with the pure light of knowledge, then I feel that this humble life shall not have been lived in vain. Then how about piercing my ignorance? If it were not for one thing, I would be delighted, sir. Oh, what do you mean? Well, I, <clears throat> unfortunately, suffer from a delicate condition of the throat. To impart information, I am required to speak at length. This has a tendency to uh, dry out the sensitive throat membranes, and thus I... I, I get it, I get it, okay. Is there a bar around here? Uh, strange that you should ask, because there does happen to be a delightful place, but a few paces down the block, a haven where the weary traveler may find refuge and refreshment. Well, that's the fanciest description of a saloon I've ever heard, but come on, let's go. I'm afraid that is quite impossible at the moment, my friend. What? Now, look. Indeed, for me to stir from this very spot at the moment would be to defy various laws of physics. And, of course, there is the matter of modesty also. Modesty? Look, what are you talking about? Boil it down, will you? Uh, very well. To reduce it to the vernacular, you are standing on my toga. 
So, this is the quiet haven for the weary traveler, huh? Is it not delightful? Professor, I've got to hand it to you. You've got a great imagination. Now, look, are your tonsils oiled up enough so you can tell me a few things? I shall strive bravely uh, between libations, of course. Uh, what would you like to know? Did Alice Chambers have a visitor last night? Uh, yes. What time? Shortly after dinner. Did you see him go into a room? In a manner of speaking, yes. You knew him? Quite well. Well, who was it? Myself. What? Uh, it was my custom to call on her to exchange a few pleasantries at the close of the day. Oh, great. Now, look, that's not what I mean. Did you see anybody else near her room? Uh, no. Huh. Well, I guess that's that. Uh, of course, the rather questionable-looking ex-ophthalmic individual who asked me for directions to a room later in the evening might have been somebody who would... Well, wait a minute. Let's have that again. I was taking my usual evening stroll, a short ex-ophthalmic... Oh, reduce it to the vernacular, will you? Very well. His eyes protruded slightly. Oh. Could be the same button-eyed gent who slugged Fralick's cousin, Julius Sachs. Fraley? Julius Sachs? I'm afraid I've not had the pleasure of giving her these. So Button Eyes was trying to find Alice Chambers. Looked like he found her all right and killed her. Well, that still doesn't help me much. He obviously got the trunk, so... Trunk? I... What trunk? Uh, it used to belong to a gent named Fralick. His cousin Julia sold it to a junk dealer who peddled it to Alice Chambers. And now five will get you ten. Button Eyes has it, and I'm too late. Oh, but I assure you, that is quite impossible. What do you mean? Well, it is a well-established law of physics that an object cannot be in two places at once. I still don't get you. How could your ex-ophthalmic friend have possession of the trunk when Alice Chambers sold it five days ago? Sold it? You know, Professor, trying to get information out of you is like riding the merry-go-round. I have to go three laps each time before I grab the brass ring. A colorful analogy. Who Dallas sell it to? A friend of hers, a dancer named Yvette. Ballet dancer? In a manner of speaking. You know where Yvette is? I do. Good. Give me her address. I'll run over and talk to her. Oh, but I fear that would be quite impossible. To run over and talk to Yvette would be to defy several laws of now, gravity. Now, don't start that again. Where is Yvette? Uh, four days ago, she left for London. London? Oh, brother. This is really turning into an obstacle race. Okay, Professor, thanks. We finally made it. The pleasure was all mine, sir. It has been a most stimulating conversation. I hope that we may look forward to another one. Sure, sure. Sometime when I've got three hours to kill and I want to find out what day it is, I'll be around. I grab the next plane for London. When I arrive, I check the newspapers and finally find the name of the theater where Yvette is dancing. It's uh, in the seamy section of the city, and when I get inside, I realize why the professor said she was a ballet dancer in a manner of speaking. I slip around backstage while she's doing her dance and find her dressing room, but there's no trunk. So it looks like Button Eyes is still ahead of me. I turn to go out, then I see something hurtling through the air at me. A flat iron. I drop to one knee, and it sails past me into the mirror. Hey. Hey, yourself. Ah. Huh. Hello, Yvette. Oh, 
What is this, Grand Central Station? I'm sorry to barge into your dressing room like this, but... Look, I... I'm getting a little tired of this routine. What? Twice already today, there have been guys snooping around my room. Twice? Yeah. Wait, uh, was one of them a short guy with button eyes? I don't know. I didn't get a decent look at either of them. But if they're friends of yours, you tell them for me that I they're don't like They're not exactly it. friends of mine, Yvette. Here, you'd better take a look at my credentials. Oh, so you're a government agent, hmm? But I still don't see why you're snooping around my dressing room. I'm looking for the trunk Alice Chambers sold you back in the States last week. Oh, that. I lent it to Joe Feeney the night before last. Whoever he is. Oh, he's my boyfriend. He's with the Flying Feenies, um, acrobats. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Oh, where are they acrobatting now? Denmark. Oh, brother. This trunk has really got legs. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, but uh, what's with the trunk, anyway? Look. The junk dealer back in New York told me that he'd had two keys made for the trunk. Yeah, Alice gave me both of them when she sold me the trunk. You still got them? Sure, one of them. Uh, I gave the other one to Joe when I lent him the trunk. Well, I guess my next stop is the Flying Feenies in Denmark. Now, look, these two characters that you saw snooping around your dressing room earlier... Yeah? You think they would have any way of knowing that the trunk is in Denmark now? How could they if I don't even know them or know who they are? Well, it looks like I'm one jump ahead of button eyes for a change, but I still don't get who the other snooper could be. Well, I still don't get what's so hot about that trunk. I... Hold it. What's the matter? Quiet. What stopped me is a slight sound outside the dressing room. I ease over to the door and jerk it open. Then I spot a little guy scrambling away. There's enough light to tell me it's button eyes. I take after him. But he pops behind some of the flats backstage, and when I get there, he's gone. I scour the whole backstage area, but there's no sight of him. Finally, I give up, start heading back to Yvette's dressing room, and then suddenly I hear something swishing through the air. I look up. A sandbag is hurtling down at me. I dive to one side, but it hits me a glancing blow on the side of the head. Sends me down for the count. Listening to Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Steve, you're lucky. You want to bet? Oh, if that sandbag had hit you square. Yeah, the way my head feels right now, it couldn't have made much difference, believe me. The guy you were chasing got away, hmm? Yeah, he's got a head start on me again. Oh. Incidentally, you mind telling me where you were when that sandbag dropped on me? Oh, in my dressing room. You sure about that? Of course, I'm sure. Why? Oh, skip it. Brother, this head of mine will probably be throbbing louder than the engines on that plane. What plane? The one I'm taking to Denmark to talk to the flying Phoenix. <laughs> The Flying Phoenix. This is an act. It is a catastrophe. Oh, their act doesn't stop the show. Look, all I know is that when I arrived here in Denmark, I learned that you'd booked them here at your theater. And I want to talk to them. You're wrong when you say that act does not stop the show, Mr. Mitchell. It stopped mine cold. With the Flying Phoenix, I could not draw flies. I still want to talk to... Hey, wait a minute. Are you trying to say that they're not here anymore? They lasted just one performance. Then I gave them, as you say, the hammer. Oh, great. So now I'm on the merry-go-round again. You wouldn't happen to know where they're playing now. Such an act as this, you would not peddle to your worst enemy. So? So I peddle them to my worst enemy. Who? Max Gruber. He runs a traveling carnival. I have never forgotten the so-called talking dog he booked here once. Where is his carnival now? Somewhere in Holland, I think, if the Flying Phoenix haven't put him out of business yet. 
up down to Holland. So far, this deal's been strictly a six-day bicycle race with Button Eyes always one lap ahead of me. Now, I've got somebody else to worry about. The other guy that Yvette said was snooping around in her dressing room in London. I start checking in Holland for the Thenies, and at this point, it wouldn't surprise me to see him swinging on the nearest windmill. Well, four hours later, I locate the traveling carnival in Rotterdam. I find their tent, and I go inside, and there at last are the flying Thenies in front of me, racked up in a pyramid, practicing their act. Hi. Quite a pyramid. Which one of you is Joe Feeney? I am. Here on the bottom. I, hey, Henry, that's my backbone. So what do you want from me? So get up on my shoulder a little. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. What can I do for you? Uh, my name's Mitchell, a government agent from the States. Where's that trunk you borrowed from your vet in London? I don't see it around this tent anywhere. It's over at the hotel room, the Vorling. Have you got a key to the trunk? Sure, right here in my pocket. Yeah, I'll get it. Hey, right. Joe, I'm leaving. Hey, I'm sorry, gentlemen. I step over the sprawling Phoenix and head to their hotel room in town. The room is dark. I start to search for the light switch, but before I can make it, something awfully hard connects over my left ear. And for the second time in 24 hours, I take a dive. Oh. Uh, how about this character? He wants to come over the room to look at the trunk, so I let him, or what happens? Well, I'm... Uh... Oh, Joe Feeney. I thought there was something fishy about him in London, Joe. Hey, is that? Yeah. Hey, what are you doing here in Holland? I decided to come over and uh, soup up the act a little. Pretty convenient time for you to arrive. What do you mean? This is the second time I've gotten conked on the head, and both times when I come out of it, there's little Yvette. Hey, look, don't change the subject, buddy. If you got any private little murders to commit, that's your business. But I don't like you using my room for them. Murders? What are you talking about? For instance, that corpse over there in the corner. Huh? Hey, wait. So, I finally caught up with button eyes. And from the looks of that knife in his back, I'd say I was about four inches too late. Like I say, buddy, if you had it in for the guy, well and good. But... Just hold it a minute, buddy. I don't see that trunk in this room anywhere. I should be in the closet. Hmm. Yeah, here it is, all right. But I'm too late again. The trunk's open and empty, including the false bottom. Boss Bottom, what are you talking about? I'd surprise you, Yvette. Why shouldn't it? Hey, look, I don't know what this is all about. Joe, did you keep this trunk locked? Why, yeah. What's the matter? If the lock on this trunk had been picked, there'd probably be a few small scratches on the metal around it. So? So there aren't any scratches. That means the trunk was probably opened with a key. What are you getting at? I'll start from the beginning, Yvette. Button Eyes was after the trunk right from the start. He knew what was in that false bottom but it's beginning to look right now like somebody else has dealt himself or herself into the deal along the way. Look. Somebody who figured that whatever was in the trunk must be pretty valuable. I still don't see what that's got to do with the keys. I'm coming to that, Feeney. This trunk originally belonged to a gent named Freilich. His cousin, Julius Sachs, lost the key in New York, so he sold the trunk to a junk dealer who had two more keys made. Alice Chambers gave you both keys when she sold you the trunk, Yvette. Sure she did, but... Joe here gave me one of the keys a little while ago. But you've still got the other key. And that sort of puts the finger on now, you. Now, wait a minute. Now, look, buddy. Yvette couldn't have killed this guy. She was with me when we discovered you here on the floor just now. Well, the two of you could be working together. You know, you're talking like you've got a hole in your head. I told you there was a second guy snooping around my dressing room in London. He's probably the one you're after. Yeah, you sure there was a second guy? Yeah. Or did you dream up that story for a good cover? Now, look. I heard in London that Joe and his act weren't doing so hot. So I came over here to join him, figuring maybe I could help. 
As soon as my plane landed, I came right here to the hotel. Then I ran into Joe in the lobby just as he was coming upstairs to the room. So, even if I knew what this is all about, I couldn't have had time to knife that guy and take whatever was in the bottom of that trunk. Okay, that maybe you're telling me the truth and maybe you're lying. Right now, I'm going to find out which... pick up the phone and check with the airport and the desk clerk downstairs, and my case against it, that falls right on its face. She didn't get to the hotel until after I'd gotten hit over the head, and the same holds true for Joe Feeney, too, so now I'm fresh out of Leeds. Then a wild idea hits me. I start thinking of a character back in New York. I put through a call to the commissioner back in the States and tell him what I want him to check. A half hour later, he calls me back, and what he says doesn't surprise me. Looks like you had the right hunch, Steve. We found out that he left for Europe right after you did. Looks like he's been on your tail all the way. Yeah, he finally caught up with me and Button Eyes here in the hotel room. You think he's got the buzz bomb plans now, Steve? Five will get you ten, he has. Any idea where he is? Probably waiting for the next plane out of here. See you later, Commissioner. Joe, you got a car outside? Yeah. Warm it up. I'm going to call the airport to check on some departing planes. Are you going somewhere? No, and I want to make sure that somebody else isn't either. There's a plane over there getting ready to take off. Yeah, that's probably one I'm after. Thanks for the lift, Joe. Hey, passenger's still getting on. I Looking feel... for me, Mitchell? What? Ah, oh, hello, Julius. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was. I thought you might be, so it seemed better for me to find you. I feel much safer with my gun in your bag. Needless to say, you've got those buzz bomb plans in your satchel there. But of course, come on. Where to? On the corner of the building. Okay. Sure all figures, Julius. You didn't realize your cousin's trunk was so valuable until Button Eyes beat you up trying to find out where it was. Then you decided to follow it up yourself. You caught up with Button Eyes in the hotel room and killed him? And I am quite certain these plans I took from the trunk can be sold to interested parties at a uh, very fat price. Here, this is far enough, Mitchell. In the shadows now, and with the noise of the airplane engines, I doubt that one small shot from this automatic would even be heard. It was a key that pegged you, Julius. If that had one, I had the other. Then I remembered you telling me that you'd lost the original key. By that time, I had also realized the trunk must be of considerable value, Mitchell. You should uh, hardly expect me to reveal that I still have another key. Would you? Hardly, Julius. Mitchell, my plane is taking off momentarily. Now we get that I must terminate our little conversation right now. His gun jams harder against my back, and I know that he's going to pull the trigger any second now. Then I remember what he said a minute ago. The gun is an automatic. That gives me an idea, a real long shot, but my only chance. Suddenly I throw my weight backward, driving him against the wall. Behind him, the gun is wedged between my back and his chest. I strain backward, keeping the pressure on the muzzle with my back. An automatic won't fire when the slide is pushed back. Get right? away from me, Mitchell. Sheriff tries to shove me forward, but I brace myself. I know that the instant the pressure is taken off the gun, it'll fire. I start sweating. I can't keep the pressure on much longer. My feet are slipping on the concrete. Suddenly, I raise one of them and let him have a heel in the shin. He relaxes his hold on the gun for an instant just long enough. I bend over, reach back between my legs, grab his foot, and yank it forward. The slot whistles over my back, and Julius' head plunks back into the wall. I'll take the gun now, Julius. Oh, and the satchel. My head. Yeah, I guess that wall must be pretty hard, all right, but you've got no kicks coming. Uh, what do you mean? After all, you had me bucking a stone wall oh. all the way in this deal. I'm just returning the compliment the hard way. Oh. oh. 
Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jondo, with music by Robert Armbruster, and is produced and directed by Bill Carn. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Dangerous Assignment came to you from Hollywood. For more mysteries, stay tuned for The Man Called X on NBC.